Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. She is called the world's leading advocate on disability rights. She's done TEDx. She has her own podcast. And she is helping out the Starkloff Disability Institute at the annual Max Starkloff Society Party. We welcome to KMOX Judy Human. Judy, it's so nice to talk to you. So nice to be with you. Your resume is fantastic. Uh, looking at all the things that you've done, if you could start at the beginning, what things were like when you started fighting for uh, dis- uh, being a disability advocate to you know where things are today? Well, I'm 74 and a half years old, so I can't really start from the beginning and complete the show and the amount of time that we have. But let me just summarize. I had polio in 1949. So my mom took me to school when I was five, and I used a wheelchair. I used a wheelchair. She pulled the wheelchair up the steps of the school because there were no laws at that point requiring accessibility, even of buildings that were getting money from federal, state, and local government. With their expectation that my mom would get me to school, she'd pick me up at the end of the day, and that I would be in school like my brother. But of course, that did not happen. I, like actually millions of other disabled children in the U.S., uh, just were not receiving a regular education. I started going to school when I was in the, like nine years old, but I was only in segregated classes, meaning only disabled children. The classes I went to were racially integrated, but the learning going on in the classes was not quality. When I went to high school, I finally started going to school with children who had disabilities and who didn't have disabilities. I would say since the 1950s and 60s, what we've seen is an important set of changes where uh, disabled people family members have really been organizing and I think most importantly recognizing that we had been experiencing extreme discrimination uh, that was based on bias against disabled people and then disabled people from different backgrounds, uh, non-white backgrounds, were experiencing additional forms of discrimination based on their race or religion, whatever. Was it true um, that you were, your mom was told that because you were in a wheelchair, you were a fire hazard? Yes. And I, I want to say, you know, this is nothing that was unusual because there were no repercussions. So I think what we've seen over the last 74 years is a dramatic change, not only in the U.S., but around the world. But we also have clearly seen that discrimination and its impact doesn't just disappear overnight because there's been much misinformation. If you think of the Starcloth Institute and one of its areas of focus being on employment, I really believe that employers today who've been working on the inclusion of disabled people for a number of years will acknowledge that 
they had biases towards what they felt disabled people could or couldn't do, which may have all, which may also be looking at certain groups of disabled people as being seen as less capable than others or thoughts about cost, which frequently is not true. And ultimately, I think, you know, as someone who's been an employer myself and in positions of employing people in when I worked in the government and the nonprofit sector, one thing that I frequently have heard is, well, what if the disabled employee doesn't do a good job? I would feel terrible firing them. You know, my feeling always is you should feel terrible about firing anybody, not just because they have a disability. And if we have good hiring practices, firing is something that really happens infrequently. So it's incumbent upon us as employers uh, to really look at what we're doing within our organization. The Americans with Disabilities Act, Section 504, a number of other provisions of law have been very important. But I also want to say I think we are now um, a little bit more in a position where looking at employment as an example, employers are recognizing the fact that they need to seriously look at all prospective employees and that you don't want to be ruling out any category of people based on a label. And I think that's another opportunity to give disabled people um, advantages and the ability to show the strength that we have both in our professions as well as the knowledge that we've gleaned because we have disabilities. I know that you were featured in the documentary Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, which now I must see. It won the Sundance uh, Audience Award in 2020. And, of course, you've worked with at least two presidential administrations. Uh, we, you have a memoir out as well, Being Human, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist. So thank you so much for working with, again with the Starkloff Institute because I remember talking to Colleen and when she met Max, if I'm, if I'm remembering the story correctly, he was basically institutionalized just because of his disability. And then he, you know, anyone who knows him knows how funny and feisty he was and how much he did really to change the mindset of people, not just here in St. Louis, but all around the country. I mean, I think Max is a perfect example of a non-disabled person who was in the Marines, did many, many different things, uh, in, in a freak accident, became a quadriplegic, could not get appropriate support services in the community, and wound up in a nursing home. And luckily was able to get out of the nursing home and then do so much other work. But I wanted to say really quickly, Max also became a brilliant painter. And it would be great at some point, maybe, if you could do something on Max as the artist because I think his uh, paintings are really profound. And he probably never would have become a painter had he not had this experience of living in a nursing home. He led by example. And stories like Max and mine and many, many other people really allow people to see that things are possible, that there are systemic issues within our society that if we were really willing to address would um, enable so many more people to contribute their capacity.
Well, Judy Human, thanks for everything that you do. And I look forward to watching the documentary and the Human Perspective podcast that you do and all of the other things. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on KMOX. Thank you. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.